Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. I'm now going to be reading uh, the Bible from uh, Matthew 25. Uh, 14 to 21 should be up on the screen behind me for it is just like a man about to go on a journey he called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them to one he gave five talents to another two talents and to another one talent depending on each one's ability then he went on a journey immediately the man who had received five talents went put them to work and earned five more in the same way the man with two talents earned two more But the man who received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Thanks, Bailey. Uh, We've been going through a series here at Southside about heart-shaped generosity. How do we get God-shaped heart when it comes to things like generosity? We've been doing this for three weeks. This is our last week in this series. And I just want to say all the feedback I've been getting is uh, this is a hard topic about how do we get God-shaped hearts when it comes to dealing with our staff, dealing with generosity, thinking God's priorities. It's hard. But the discussions that have been going on have been fantastic. What does that look like in my stage of life? What does that look like if I haven't got the resources other people have? What does it look like when I'm in doing, got this going on? Talking about it is allowing God to challenge our hearts and to doing that to be doing that together as a church family is just an awesome experience. So I want to thank you for um, it's week four and you're still here. It's always a worry for a pastor when you're talking about things like money that everybody disappears, but you're still here. So thank you uh, for allowing God to speak into our hearts. I'm going to pray now before we uh, get into this story of Jesus. Uh, Let me pray. Dear Father God, just thank you for your great love for us, that you speak to us, that you are concerned about us that we do have God-shaped hearts. Lord, please help us this morning to understand you better, understand your priorities, and understand our place in your kingdom. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you good at? What are you so good at that you could win a prize for, that you could get the reward for? Because I'm telling you, this year is the World Cup year for everything. You might know that at the moment there's the FIFA, uh, the Women's World Cup soccer is going on at the moment and we're seeing the elite sportsmen, well sportswomen unless they've got a blown calf muscle, uh, we've seen them compete and they're going for the prize to show how good they are. But I'm telling you this year is a World Cup year for other things as well. If you're into hockey, ice hockey, cricket, T20 and test, water polo, or is it snooker, table tennis? Yes, this is all World Cup years for all these things, including netball, and maybe even a few people might turn up to lacrosse. It's all there. It's all, if you're good at one of these things, you can compete in a World Cup 
uh, if you're into sport at all, uh, there's something there for you. Or even if you're not into sport, I'm just joking, everybody's into sport, right? But there's even something if you're not into one of these sports. I'm telling you, the World Cup year for hide and seek is happening in Italy later this year. Seriously, and I'm telling you, they do take it seriously. Google it. They are elite. Um, and when you see who wins this, you might even realise you have a chance. Actually, I had trouble finding a photo for those winners because I think they're still looking for them. They're so good. But they're, they're good, right? Sorry. There's hide and seek. But what does it mean for Christians? I mean, there's prizes, there's elite levels, there's recognition, there's rewards for everything. But for what about... If you're a Christian, if you're somebody who believes in Jesus and you want to aspire to be a great disciple of Jesus, what is it for us? What does it look like? What does Jesus want from us to show that we're living diligently, to take him seriously? How do we do well at being a Christian? And what is Jesus looking for from us? Is there such a thing for a Christian to have a podium finish, a reward at the end? Is it like that for us? We're going to look at a story today that Jesus tells us towards the end of his uh, life before he goes to the cross. And he tells a story that he wants not only his hearers at that time in first century to hear, but even us today. There's something about his priorities and what he wants to know, uh, what he wants us to know. We had it read for us. Thanks, Bailey. Uh, and we pick it up, the story, so it's in um, yeah, chapter 25 of Matthew. But he starts off this with, again, it is like a man going on a journey. What does he mean again? Jesus, for this last uh, chapter 24, and he's going to do it in chapter 25, he's talking about, in the context of he's about to go to the cross, he's about to be killed, he's about to be taken from his people. But then he'll rise again, uh, he will send to heaven but he will return. He's not a dead God. He's a live God. He will return. And what will that kingdom look like? His kingdom that he returns to, his kingdom that he's going to establish, what is he going to find when he returns? This is the context of it. He's just told a couple of stories. When you get home, you can read chapter 24, chapter 25. It's talking about Jesus' return. And again, talking about Jesus' return, the coming kingdom, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth with them. So this is a wealthy man. Uh, we'll call him the master from now on. He'll be recognised as the master of the household. And he is very wealthy. And as he goes on his journey, he doesn't want his money just sitting doing nothing. He entrusts his servants with his money. He expect, he's expecting them to do something with his money for, for it to be at work while he's gone. And to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. A couple of interesting things. that He knows his three servants that he's picked out have different abilities and he's given them according to what he thinks they can manage, what they can deal. But he's expecting something from all of them. He doesn't want them to do nothing. He's expecting his money to be, be at work while he's away. The other thing to recognise uh, in the way Matthew tells the story, he just talks about bags of, bags of gold. How much is he talking about? Uh, well, in Luke, Luke 
retells this story as well. Uh, and he talks about talents, that the master gives them this many talents. Uh, that actually gives us a bit of a quantity to it. One talent is equal, or was equal in that time, to 20 years wages. So for us today, if that was the same uh, equation, 20 years wages, at the moment the average wage is close to $100,000 a year. Um, that's like $2 million for one talent. So he's given one guy the five bags of money, $10 million. It's not nothing, right? The other one, two bags of money, $4 million. The other one, one bag of money, $2 million. It's not like, oh, gee, he hasn't got, given me much wiggle room here, not much to play with. We start asking the question, what would you do with that sort of money? How would you make it work? How would you return a profit for the master? Because he's trusted them with a lot of his stuff. How are they going to go? But then we're told, <coughs> the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. And the man who had received the one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his, money, hid his master's money. Now, it's interesting. We're only into the start of this story. We only had part of the story read for us in the Bible reading. We're only into part of the story and we already know kind of how this is going to play out. If you're a good storyteller, you build the suspense. You hold a bit back. I'm curious how are these three servants going to go and we're, we're held back right to the very end. But no, in this story, Jesus is telling, and if you know Jesus' stories, he's a great master at uh, storytelling. He puts it up front. Here's how the guys are going to go. And you kind of go, why? why? Why is Jesus telling this now instead of building up the suspense? I'll tell you why I think he's doing it. Is so we know... A little bit about the servants the three servants we know what they're thinking we know how they're going to act we actually know the result of their work for when the master has gone for such a long time we actually know a bit about them so we associate with them all we know what they're feeling and we're going on the journey on the highs and lows with them in this because we know uh, how they've gone that that bit of the surprise is gone we connect with them so when this when the master returns, after a long time, we're not told exactly how long, but it's long enough for the guys to get their investments working, to do something. It wasn't just a week or two. It was a long time. The master of those servants returned to settle the accounts with them. You can imagine this meeting. If you've been just entrusted with something like, well, the first servant, um, $10 million, it's time to settle the accounts. This is a business meeting, right? This is a sort of meeting you're invited to, a meeting with the boss in the boardroom. I want to I check your accounts to see how you've gone. It's a suit and tie meeting. It's expect to sit down at the table. The boss has probably got his lawyers there too, just to make sure you're doing everything legit. This is a big meeting. And for the first guy, how do you think he's feeling? His boss has returned after a long time. Have you been good with his money? How do you think? He's doubled his money. He's gone from 10 to $20 million. We're even told the man who had received five bags, of five bags of gold brought the other five. He's walking into the room, barely 
carrying all this gold that he's got with him. Do you, how do you think he's feeling? I think he's feeling pretty confident. I think he's got a bit of a stride to how he's walking into the room. He's confident in what, how this is going to play out. He says, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. This is settling the accounts. This is what you gave me, five bags of gold. See, now I just want to stop at this little bit because this is, we don't see this in the English, but in the, in the Greek, this is like, have a look at this. There's something big going on. In some of the translations of the Bibles, if you're using your own Bible, uh, it says, behold, same, same Greek word, or look, it's less impactful. See is kind of like, oh yeah. But it's used, this word, this Greek word's used when the writer wants you to pay attention. Something big is about to happen. Something big's going on. So if you think of the story of Mary and Joseph, uh, Joseph um, he's not sure whether he should go through with marrying uh, Mary. And it says, an angel turned up to Joseph. It doesn't say just an angel turned up. It says, behold, an angel turned up. It's like, see, look. The Ross Wilson translation would go, check this out. An angel turned up. And then it says, and, Mar and the angel announced that Mary's going to have a baby. She's going to have a boy. It doesn't just say that. Behold, Mary's... Check this out, Mary's pregnant and she's going to have a boy. Then the, after the birth, uh, the shepherds come. The shepherds don't just come. Behold, the shepherds, check this out, there's shepherds coming. It just goes on and on. These big moments in the Bible, uh, it draws your attention. Look, see. Even after Jesus was killed on the cross, uh, was in the tomb, when Jesus uh, had risen from the dead, so when Mary Magdalene, the mother of Jesus, the two Marys went to the tomb and they saw the risen Jesus, they didn't just see the risen Jesus, behold, check this out, that they saw the risen Jesus. Like it's the, one of these words that we can see, it's like, no, check this out. So for this guy, he says, you want to check out my accounts? Look, you've given me five money bags. Yep, everybody, yep, that's what we did, all agreed. Now check this out, he says. I have gained five more. Do you think he's feeling good at this stage? He's now got $20 million equivalent to on the table. So look what I've done. I think he's feeling confident. I think he's feeling like I've done the master good value in trusting me with this, with all this money, what you've equipped me with. Now it's how's the master actually going to respond? His master replies, well done, good and faithful servant. He was right. He was right to be confident. It's right to go into the me meeting feeling pretty good when his master says, well done, good and faithful servant. He calls him faithful. He says, you have been faithful with a few things. Might indicate how rich this master was if he just gave him the equivalent of uh, five million, uh, $10 million. Uh, and he says, I've given you a few things. But he says, now I'll put you in charge of many things. You've used your opportunities well. I'm going to give you more opportunities. Well done. But then he even says more. Come and share your, master's, share your master's happiness. He's inviting him to go, the master's happy. I want you to enjoy that, embrace that and celebrate that with me as well. So the master gives it him 
praise. He gives him privileges and gives him the prize. Gives him praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. Gives him privileges. I'm going to put you in charge of more stuff. Gives him the prize. Come and celebrate with me. I mean, how good is this? We're not, even, we're not sure what the celebration is, but when your rich boss invites you to celebrate with him, you know it's going to be good. You know you want to be there to celebrate that. This is good. We feel happy for this guy, right? This first servant. Good on him. He worked hard. He got the recognition he deserved. And he's, he's got a bright future ahead of him. And his master's pleased with him. How do you think the second guy is going to go? The guy that was given two money bags, turned it into four. How do you think he's going to walk into the room? He could be walking into the boardroom at the same time as the first guy's walking out. The first guy's pretty happy. The second guy's walking in. Okay, if he's happy, I'm going to... I think I'm pretty good too. I think we should be optimistic for him. So the man with two money bags of gold also came. Master, he said, Settling his accounts, you entrusted me with two money bags. Yep, I did. Yep, all good. See, check this out. And he puts his suitcase on the table with all his gold in it. He says, I have gained two more. I've doubled the money. I've doubled it. How good is this? And what are we expecting the master to say again? His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. He's done well, right? He walked into the meeting, he was confident because he'd worked hard. He's got the stuff for the master to please him. Faithful, he's called. You've been faithful with a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. So again, we see this, we feel the journey for this guy. He's worked hard, he's been responsible for what he had, and the master's pleased with him again. He's got this praise from the master, he's got privileges and he's got the prize. You feel good for this guy, good on him. He can celebrate now that he's done well. What about the third servant, the last servant? What's going to happen here? Because we're already told that he dug a hole, put the gold in the hole and just buried it till the master returned. Now the master's returned. Hey, time for a meeting. Come to the boardroom. I want to reconcile what we've got here. So he comes in. How's he going to go? It's a bit painful to watch, don't you think? If you're into sport, it's like your team's down in soccer. Your team's down two goals and it's only 10 minutes in. Now I've got to watch the rest for like 90 minutes. It's painful to watch. Test match cricket. The Aussies are down with a day and a half to go. I've got to watch England whip the Aussies. It's like it's painful to watch. Our friend here, our third friend the third servant is walking into a boardroom with nothing to show this is painful to watch but what does he do the man who had received one money bag of gold came master he said what's he gonna say just don't don't do anything silly right but he comes up with excuses i know that you're a hard man Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. It's like, oh, don't, don't do this. He's having a go at the master. He's already making excuses for what he's done. He hasn't revealed what he's done yet. He's actually going, it's not my fault, right? Actually, it's your fault. You're the hard master. You're the one that's got me into this mess. And he goes on to, I was afraid 
and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. That makes sense, right? Makes sense to everybody here. You know, didn't I do the right? I can imagine the third servant looking at all the lawyers around the table going, this is what you guys would do too, right? Just bury the money because I don't want to muck this up. This is a fair deal, right? And he uses the same word too. See, check this out. It's almost like he's not reading the room, right? He thinks he's won the room over. Look, I've done something that's really good. I think I can push through. I think I've got him bluffed. What's he going to say? Here's what belongs to you. Look, I haven't taken anything. I haven't lost anything. It's all yours, master. The equivalent of $2 million. How's the master going to respond to this? Is he going to take it? The guy comes in with a sense of pride and says, Look, I had it harder than the other guys. I've got a hard master. No, you've got the same master. I didn't have as much money. No, no. You just weren't responsible with what you had. How's the master going to take it? What should he do? What should the master do? His master replied, where the other guys got, you good and faithful servants, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Uh, well then, you should have put my money in deposit with the bankers. So that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And even in those days, they didn't pay much interest. So not much has changed in 2,000 years. But he says, at least you would have got something back. What have you done, mate? What have you done? This is awkward. The master wasn't going to accept any excuses, but actually called him out on it. You're wicked and lazy. The other servants got praises. Privileges, prizes, where this guy, the master, goes on. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has been given more, they will, they will have a, an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. There's a lesson here, right? If you're diligent with what you've got, you've taken the opportunities with what you've got, you'll be given more. But if you're not responsible, if you're not taking opportunities, why should I give you anything? That makes sense. Then he goes further. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is the same language that the Bible uses for talking about hell. It's like, this guy's going to be punished for what he did, for not taking it seriously. This is kind of not the kind of ending we expect from a story from Jesus. Often there's repentance, there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's a happy ending. But not here. But not here. We've written the story with these guys and we see we're left with the image that there's two of the, two of the servants are enjoying some sort of party or banquet in the master's house, in the rich man's house. They're having a good time celebrating and we should be happy for them. They worked hard, they got the prize. But not everyone will be there. Some who are wicked and lazy servants will be punished. And if we've been on the journey with them, you kind of go, mate, you should have known better. You should have seen this coming. You shouldn't be surprised. Because we were told right from the start he wasn't doing the right thing. But it didn't change. And it didn't end well. We've been on the ride with the three, the three servants. Two, well done, 
happy for them. One, it's painful to watch. What do we do with this story? Because when Jesus tells one of these parables, there's at least one lesson, if not a few lessons. Now, I just want to bring out three things. Three things plus one more. Just sneak another one in. First thing, Jesus will return, and we need to live in light of that. Jesus will return. So there's a story about Jesus' return. Jesus is the master, and when he returns, what's he going to find? What's he going to find with his people? People in the first century, people today. What's he going to find? Are you going to be the servant that meets Jesus confidently to reconcile what you've done with confidence? Going, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased to, to show my stuff. Look here, check this out. Or are we going to go in sheepishly, making excuses? Jesus is telling a story where he wants everyone to walk into that meeting exciting, excited. Excited to be there. Excited to show what we've done. Look, Jesus, check this out. And to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in my master's happiness. That's what I live for, to hear those words. That's what you should live for, to hear those words. I want to be there in that meeting to hear it. On that final day when Jesus returns to say that. That's a good day. Don't be the servant who's painful to watch, who's called out as wicked and lazy. But we live in light of Jesus' return. The second thing is our actions match our faith. This is something we wrestle with a bit. Because is what you do a salvation issue? So is faith in Jesus? Because we talk about To be a Christian is to believe in Jesus, have faith in Jesus. That's what you need to do. And that's true, 100% true. But sometimes it makes us think that dealing with our money or serving or our other stuff is like a secondary matter. It's not as important. But actually what Jesus is saying in this story is, no, no, actually faith is important and what you do with your faith through your actions, that's important as well. And we pick this up all through the New Testament. In the book of James, James is a letter to uh, churches where James says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. It's like if you've got a God-shaped heart, people will see that. Not because they can see your heart, but they can see your actions. They can see what's behind it. Your actions show what's going on on the inside. There's actually another verse that talks about a similar similar context to the parable that Jesus told. So it's in Revelation and it's telling the story of Jesus' return and having this meeting with uh, people, everybody. Revelation chapter 20 verse 12. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. There's books being written about us, about what we've done. And they're going to be open in front of the angels by Jesus. He's going to know everything you've done. It's not just because you need to be doing stuff, but is your faith really working out in how you're living? It'll show and it'll be seen and it'll be judged. It's a bit like, here's a few phrases. It's not because I do, I am saved. It's not like Mackenzie brilliantly said it this morning. It's not because I hang around Christians, I look like a Christian, that just makes me a Christian. 
not by my doing that makes me a Christian. It's not because I'm saved, I don't have to do anything. It's not because I have Jesus that lets me off the hook. I don't have to do anything about anything. It's not that either. It is, and this picks up what the letter of James was saying, because I am saved, I do. Because Jesus has done so much for me. Because Jesus has given me a new heart. That's why I change my life. That's why I do what I do. But our actions do matter. Our actions reflect our heart. So our actions match our faith. And we have to be intentional about that. We can't just take that for granted. We have to train our hearts, train our bodies to do what is good and right, what Jesus calls us to do. So Jesus will return. Our actions match our faith. The third one, good and faithful servants are intentional. They're intentional about what they do. And I think I'm saying this from a background. The churches I grew up in, you just turned up. That's what made you faithful. We're the faithful ones because we're here in church. We didn't have any real goals. We didn't have any uh, thing. Being faithful meant you kept turning up. You didn't give up. As long as there was a sign on the door, Presbyterian Church, we're faithful. But it's actually only part of the story, isn't it? It's actually being intentional. For all churches and all believers, we have opportunities. You know, these guys in the story had money bags. It's a very, uh, very literal thing to see, the money. But we have the message of Jesus. We have something that is very precious. We have something that needs to be multiplied. We have that in different quantities, different abilities, in different proportions, different opportunities. The question is not how much you've got. So what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? We've been given a great message. See, this story is not just about money. It's about what God has put us in charge of. A quick summary is time, talents and treasures. We all have time. What are you doing with your time to serve in the kingdom of God, to point other people to Jesus? We all have time. What about talents? Are you using what God has given you, your opportunities, your giftings, but even the ability to serve? Are you do, using what you've been given as opportunities? Being responsible for a little, make you responsible for a lot. Are we using those things? Time, talents, and our treasures, our stuff. All things belong to God, as we've been looking at the last few weeks. All things are his, and he entrusts us with his stuff. What are we doing with his stuff? What are we doing with our money? What are we doing with the stuff we have? Are we using it to serve the kingdom of God? Are we making the most of those opportunities? Because even if we've been responsible for a little, he'll make us responsible for a lot. Are we responsible for what we've got, no matter how much we've got? How are we faithfully using what we have? Because we've all been given opportunities. We can't just say, well, if I had their opportunities, I'd be doing the same thing. They've got more money than me. They've got more talent than me. They've got more time than me. Sure, if I had that, I'd be doing that too. No, no. The, the servants had different size bags. And I think that's a significant part of the story. We all have different size bags you might say we all have different abilities to take up these opportunities doesn't mean the end's going to be the same but in principle are we using the opportunities that we have 
Now, I know here, even in our church at Southside, we've got all people living under different circumstances and different opportunities. We've had people here over the years that are big in the business world and they've done great things and using their position, using their ability to do great things in helping us hit this building is a classic example. Somebody in the right position has helped make this stuff happen. They've used, taken their opportunities well. But don't be discouraged and, and don't even... Think that it's fair that if you're comparing yourself with other people with those opportunities. I'm a student. I'm a stay-at-home parent. I'm saving up for, for our first home. That's a miracle in itself. I'm responsible for all this household of kids. We're at different stages of life. So this is not a story that's going to go, no, no, you need to punch at their level. But it does mean you've got opportunities wherever you've at. You've got opportunities. Kids at home, great opportunity. Are you discipling them? In your circle of friends at work or at uni, are you taking those opportunities? Here at church, are you taking the opportunities to, to encourage and build up to make and grow disciples here? There's opportunities that we have, even if it's not just talking about money, not just talking about time, not just talking about talents, but we all have some opportunities. What are we, how are we being responsible for what God has given us? How are we doing that? How's that playing out? Are you being faithful? That's our three things, I think, coming out of this parable. Jesus will return. Let's live in light of it. Actions match our faith. Let's not be lazy in that. And good and faithful servants are intentional. They're not going to sit on their hands. They're going to be responsible for what they have. I said there's plus one. I want to take the opportunity now to say why Southside is a good investment. And I'm doing this on the back of... Uh, financial years just ended i received about 10 letters from different charities we've been involved with going hey it's the end of financial year give us your gifts because we're doing great work and this is all good support and if you look at each one of them it's like mate they, they've had a great year this is worth supporting there's lots of good things to be supporting with our time talents and treasures but I just want to share, take this opportunity just to say hey there's some good things going on here that i hope that you've really won that you're proud of and two that you want to invest in firstly and it's been mentioned before that uh this one percent thing and uh i just did this exercise the other day on our map if you do a radius of five kilometers from this church how many people live here within five kilometers of this church as the crow flies it's now one hundred and thirty thousand people we are in a mission field a very diverse community uh, internationally, economically. We're in the crossroads of lots of things here. We've got lots of people to reach. There are lots of churches, but lots of people unsaved. And our prayer is, Lord, if you could just help us to reach 1%, which we each say 1,000 people, that would be enormous. But actually now it's more like 130,000 people, so 1% is now 1,300. It's growing. We'll never catch it. But you see the need we've got. We're not just a church that's going to sit on our hands thinking, isn't this nice? We are in a mission field. We want to be responsible with the... Res we want to be diligent and intentional with the responsibilities we have. We have opportunities in this community, thanks to God. He has given us not just a little, he's given us much in the area of opportunities of mission. That's when we look out. But what happens when we look even inside this church? 
here's just a bit of a graph, demographics of our makeup. And uh, this is just a age group from zero to 16. And there's 136. This is regular Southside. This is not counting visitors or people who pop in. Every this is regulars at Southside. And talking this uh, Gen Z, Gen Alpha type thing. The next generation that's coming through. But we have 136 under 16-year-olds that we've been made responsible for. These are precious opportunities as we make and grow disciples. We've got these little disciples with us now. But then when we think about, and this is what our leadership team's been doing, think about what will our church look like in five years? In five years. We'll have 30 of these guys moving on to young adults. 30 young adults moving through that stage of life. We'll have another 50 kids moving into youth. We'll have 50 kids moving into kids' church. And that's not counting if our church grows. If anybody else, grow, if anybody else joins us, that's more as well. We've got this great opportunity. And if you're a parent with kids that have gone through some of these transitions, going into kids' church or going to youth or going to young adults, you know these are really important times of life where, where kids need to uh, be solid in their convictions with their faith, to know Jesus is real, to know Jesus is worth putting their trust in. And we need to be supporting the families but the kids to be responsible with who they are in Jesus, to know that and to be intentional in helping these guys make those life transitions, to see them grow as disciples. The story of Mackenzie up here this morning, oh man, it warmed my heart. I feel like the granddad of this church sometimes, I've got to tell you. I was here when Mackenzie was born. Mackenzie has gone through creche, kids' church, now youth, and he's doing some leadership stuff at youth as well. Here's somebody, I hope, and Ben touched on this before, I hope that if you're involved in any of those ministries, that your heart is warmed by that as well. To go, some days, you know, this is hard work, I'm not sure if this is working, but to see, wow, here's somebody making it to the end, well, at least uh, moving into adulthood, and he's got it together. God's doing great stuff in his life, and I was a part of it. This is the money bags kind of I don't want to call you a money bag Mackenzie but um, this is the bit where you go look God see check this out I was a part of growing disciples here at Southside I was a part of that and I'm going to celebrate that and I can walk up to Jesus and go thank you for involving me in that that was such a buzz for me an exciting part of my life these guys this next generation are worth investing in. We need to see more Mackenzies, and we can do that by being intentional, working hard at what we've got there. Just to put that in a little bit of context, as our church grows, our resources are being pushed. We have a huge uh, volunteer team, teams in this church. I'm not aware of too many churches that have as many volunteers, like you have a ratio of volunteers serving in our church. But we are stretched as we grow. So uh, if we think of staffing-wise, uh, a principle that, um, a generally accepted principle, if you want to have a growing church, you need a staff ratio of about uh, one staff member to 80 people. 
adults and kids on a Sunday. Uh, and as you increase that, the harder it is to grow. We've been growing and we've been getting close to 300 people on a Sunday with 2.6 staff. And if you do the sums, that's over 100 people per staff member, if you do that sums. But we're still growing. And I think part, a lot of that is thanks to our volunteers that put in so much. But if we're going to continue to be intentional, particularly with this ne next generation, our leadership team are very aware that we need to do something in that space to start equipping those guys, to give them more attention, uh, to help them move through those life transitions and still trust in Jesus. I want you to think about, to me, that's exciting. This is like being diligent with a little, being faithful with a little. Now God's given us, he's asking us to be faithful with a lot because they're very precious. And we can do it. We can do it together. But I want to ask you to think about that, pray about that, let God shape our hearts to go, yeah, this is a good investment. What's going on right here in our own home church? It's worth celebrating. This has been a big journey over four weeks. I'm going to pray now that God will continue to work on our hearts, that we have good conversations. We'll grow through this process. Please pray with me. Dear Father God, just thank you for being patient with us. Thank you that sometimes we are lazy. Sometimes we don't think of you and your kingdom, but we just get distracted with our own busyness of life. Lord, sometimes we get frustrated that we don't feel like we can do enough. Lord, sometimes we get frustrated that we feel like we haven't got enough. Lord, give us hearts that are content with where we are and who you've made us to be and what you've given us. But Lord, help us not be content with the mission before us to see many more people come into your kingdom as we make and grow disciples seeing our community one for you, but also seeing that next generation grow up knowing you. Lord, please use us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.